This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. Welcome to everybody. We're glad you're here and uh, on this New Year's morning. I'm trying to remember. I know New Year's Day has been on a Sunday in the past, but I'm just having a hard time remembering it happen because I know Christmas Day has been on a Sunday in the past. And uh, so, and it always follows. It's amazing how it works, Seth. Your birthday is always one week after Christmas too. So you got that gap to get Christmas presents done and now birthday presents. You, you are a special guy. I'll tell you what, I am envious of you. Um, this past week, uh, I've read and listened to to a lot of folks talking about the year that just ended. And I've talked about it as well myself. And, uh, and talking about things, I've, I've listened to some folks uh, who are some thinkers talk about things to watch for in, in the year 2012. And, and that's probably a good idea to go back over the past year, to go over your successes and to be honest about your, your failures and, uh, and pray for God to use both what happened last year, my successes and my failures, because God wants to use it all in my life, to use all of that to shape me and to mold me into him, his image in the year to come. So I guess there's probably no time like the start of a new year for you and for me to evaluate our lives. You know, we've just finished the year. To go back and evaluate my life and say, okay, God, as we start this new year, as I begin this, this brand new January 1st, new day, new year, we sang it, new start, God, I want to seek your plans for the coming year. Now, most of us, if not all of us, can look back on last year, and if we're honest, we can say that there are times last year when in my life, you, you say, last, there were times last year in my life I soared like an eagle, you know, there were times when I would just, it was like everything was, was going just like I'd ever dreamed it would, but there were also times in my life when I wasn't soaring like an eagle, I was more of a turkey. And, and, and I, I look at my life in those instances and I see that as well. Some of us last year, some of us saw new children, new grandchildren born into our families. Some of us enjoyed the graduations and the weddings of family members. Maybe you got a new job, maybe you remodeled your home. Maybe you got a new car. The greatest thing that could have ever happened to you last year, and this happened to some of you in this room in 2011, is that you, uh, you, you, know, you came into a forever relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that's been the most awesome thing in your life. Those are the kind of things, when those kind of things happen, th- those events that you know, kind of make us sore. But with the good also comes the bad. With the mountains come the valleys, Last year, perhaps loved ones died, jobs were lost, business deals fell through. Maybe your marriage broke up or or you lost your home to foreclosure. And with so many moving away due to the economy, it could be that your best friend is now too many miles away to see as often as you would like. I believe that this series we're going to begin today Resolution Revolution is something God wants us to, to use to take a start in the new year to give us some wings to fly on. Now, I'm not a, personally, I'm not a big resolutions person, you know. I didn't make a list, you know, last week and compile a list of all the things I'm going to do. If you want to see those people drive by 
the parking lot of the YMCA tomorrow morning, all right? You will see the resolution, people. They'll all be there. You know, this is the year I'm going to lose the weight. This is the year I'm getting the six-pack. It's talking about here, not here. This is the year. I'm putting this one down, they're saying. This is the year I'm going to whatever. And, and a lot of resolutions, are be, I'm not a big resolutions person, but I am someone who believes in being resolved to do what's right. And I'm a person who believes in change, even when it's a revolutionary change in a person's life. So I'm praying and I'm expecting for 2012 to be very different in many ways uh, from what 2011 was in, in my life and, and maybe in your life, in the life of our church. But for that to happen, we all need to be sure that our priorities, we're going to be talking about these things in the coming weeks, our passions are in the right place. For those of us who are Christ followers, that means where he wants our priorities to be, where he wants my passions to lie. Where that starts is knowing that my life is not my own, it's his. We just saying that, Jesus, you are everything. Leads us right into that thought. Now, because I'm now what, what could be described as a long-in-the-tooth veteran pastor, I often get asked questions by younger men in ministry, and one question that I get asked sometimes is, uh, Rick, what, what would you say in your years of pastoring Uh, What would you say is the most important lesson the church can learn? What's the most important principle, if you will, the church can have? And my answer always starts by saying, well, you know what? uh, The answer I'm going to give you is, is not only the most important for us, it's also the most difficult for us. If you're writing notes, I hope you got some, an outline to take notes this morning because I'm going to ask you to do a lot of writing and thinking this morning. But this first thing says very simply this. The most important thing I would say to, to folks is this lesson. It's not about me. It's not about me. Sorry, Seth. <laughs> it's New Year's Day, bud. <laughs> Here's a verse for you that maybe could be your verse to live by this year. Galatians chapter 2 Verse 20, would you look up on the screen? Let's read that verse together. Read that with me, please. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer I who live. What a wonderfully, potentially life-changing verse of scripture, but it is, if you read that verse and you really think about what it says, it's a tough verse to live, isn't it? My life's not about me, it's about Jesus. Can you say that 24-7? Can you say that 24 hours a day? Can you say that every minute of every day? Can you honestly say that? And I think all of us, again, if we're honest this morning, we would have to say, not quite. Tough verse to live. I don't know about you, but I saw my old self, that old sinful nature that I was born with that Jesus came to free me from. I I saw that my old self come to life too many times in the year 2011. And he, my old self, discouraged me because I knew Jesus had something better for me. And and here's, you might jot this down. If you have space to write this down somewhere, I, I hope you'll get this thought. Whenever I choose me, As the center of my world, 
it messes everything up. Do you get that? Whenever I choose me as the center of my world, it messes everything up because it's not about me. My life is not to be lived for me. Maybe for you, maybe this is the verse. Maybe you can go home and you can cut this verse out of your notes and, and tape it on your refrigerator door um, if that's where you spend most of your time. Uh, maybe for maybe you say, well, oh, I don't. Well, then tape it on your mirror because maybe that's where you spend most of your time. But wherever it is where you spend a lot of time, tape that thing on there and say, it's not about me. I live this life believing in Jesus, trusting in the Lord. What does that mean? Paul said, I I lived in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God. What does that mean? It means I won't jump into anything on impulse. How many of you are impulsive buyers? How many of you just could not wait for the day after Christmas to go get some deal? And you didn't care if you needed it or not. It was half price. I'm going to get it. I will not live on impulse. I won't jump into anything on impulse. And when trials and tribulations come into my life, and how many of us experienced any of those last year? Raise your hand. You had some difficulties, some trials. When trials and tribulations come into my life and I feel pressured, and that's what the Greek word for tribulation means. It means to be squeezed in a vice. When trials and tribulations come into my life, and I feel pressured, I will not think that the first thing that comes my way that seems to be an answer to that trial, to that tribulation, must be from God. Must be my only opportunity. Unless first I consult with him and I get clear direction from him. You know, I've talked to a lot of believers. Boy, do you want to you you get a sermon from me in, in private, in person? Come to me and tell me that you're going to do something that violates Scripture and then follow that up with, by saying this to me, but Rick, I've prayed about it. Oh, I will give you a tongue lashing with the Word of God like you never had in your life. But I prayed about it. That doesn't give us license. Praying about something doesn't give me license to do something dumb. See, prayer, when I pray, I expect what? An answer. But I pray I expect an answer. But please understand, the answer that I, that I get from God might not be the one I was hoping for. You ever found that to be true? Oh, I'm going to do this, and I've prayed about it. So that's, but have you gotten an answer yet? See, praying is just kind of half of the, the equation. I pray, and then I get an answer, and then I act. But so many of us, I just pray, so I do it because I, I prayed about it. It's like, okay, God bless this mess. God bless this mistake. Might not be the answer I was hoping for. And and the other thing about my, you know, I pray pray and, and the answer might not come today. It might not come tomorrow. It may be a good while before the answer comes. Remember, the Bible tells us that God makes all things beautiful in his time not in mine. And that may require me to wait this year and be patient. The older English translations of the Bible would talk about the Hebrew, would talk about, the, talk about waiting on the Lord. In fact, we're going to read a verse in just a few minutes about that, which means, was a Hebrew phrase for trust God. When you don't see the answer, when you don't know the outcome, when you don't know what to do, trust 
God. Wait on him. Well, why is Jesus worth trusting? Why is he worth waiting on? Paul, in that verse we just read, Paul says it's because he's the one who loved me. And he loved me how? He loved me in spite of myself. He loved me knowing all of my frailties and my faults and my glitches in my life. He loved me anyway, in spite of my sin. And he knew when he loved me, he also knew this. He knew that I wouldn't always love him back. Don't you love to hear somebody that you love tell you that they love you? I I, I do appreciate that. I was told this morning by the one I love most on this earth, she said to me as we were driving to church, I love you more this year than I did last year. I said, that means you love me more today than you did yesterday. And I wanted to break into a Stevie Wonder song, but I didn't. But... I mean, you love hearing that from someone. I love you. God loved us knowing that we wouldn't always tell him that. We wouldn't always show that to him. In fact, we would say and show and do many things exactly the opposite of his love, yet he loved us and he promised never to leave me, never to forsake me. And to prove he loved me, he gave himself for me by going to the cross and dying in my place. Why on earth, Paul says, Paul's reasoning, why on earth would I not trust someone like that? But please hear this. Every time I start thinking that my life is about me, I stop trusting him. This year, I want to I want to keep him closer than ever, and I want, personally, my life not to be about me. I want it to be about Christ. How about you? Now, in your notes, there's a little place there for you to to write down some things. I've given you an opportunity to respond on paper. I hope that you got a pen and that you'll do that. But there's a respond to that statement in your notes and write it down. And where it says, an area in my life I've made all about me is. Just go ahead and write now. I'm going to give you a moment and write it down. An area in my life that I've made, maybe last year, maybe last week, maybe it keeps popping up, that I've made all about me is what? What is it? Some of you are looking at me like you want me to give you the answer. I don't know, okay? Tell me, Rick, what is it? Now, some of you, I could sit down and I could give you a list, all right? But but most, I can't do that. I can do that about me. Just one, just one thing. That's the first step this year. That's the first declaration I want us to make this year. It's not about me. Would you say that with me this morning? It's not about me. Second step of faith, the second declaration for this new year is this. Jot this down. Renew me, God. Renew me. All of us who are Christians know that not only does faith in Christ for salvation convert us into new creations, the Bible says we are born again, but that the Christian life is a journey, and it's a journey of renewal. And all through that journey, we're, we're constantly shedding the old and growing into the new. And the ultimate goal of that journey is for you and for me to become more and more like Jesus in our character and in our priorities in our lives. Isaiah wrote, passage of scripture for us this morning. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 30 and 31, familiar verses. He said, 
Youths may faint and grow weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not weary. They will walk and not faint. You know how, uh, those of you who are parents, you know how, how painful it was to, to watch your child outside running, maybe on the sidewalk, you know, or the parking lot, and they'd run, and then they would stumble and fall and scrape up their knees and get up crying and maybe bleeding. Maybe they just have just started kind of walking really well and they decided to take off on a run. Now, there's a time and there's a place for running. And there's a time and there's a place where we don't want to run, isn't there? I mean, we're constantly in here in this room. We, have, we grab children um, after, after, and, and who want to chase each other. And we say, hey, look, don't run in here. Why? Because we don't want you to fall down and bust out your teeth. And those, this is not the place. There is a place, however, in our lives for running. It's not a bad thing. The parents, our job with our little children, and if they're going to run, we're there to give them guidance. We're there to tell them, here's where you can run. Here's the time to run, but here's the time to walk. And when they do run, we hope it's a healthy, safe run. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, he said, run in such a way that you may win. A couple verses later, he said, so I run with purpose in every step. Run with, I know where I'm going. I, I'm going for a reason. I'm not running because I got nothing better to do. You know, I see people like that. I, I drive by them in the morning. They're running down the, the road, you know, on the bike paths and on the sidewalk, side of the road. And I'm thinking, I got something better to do, don't you? And I'm just, you know, and they, look like, and they look like they're having fun, some of them. I've tried that. Once, that's right. <laughs> What is with this? (laughs) It's interesting that Isaiah writes and he says, youths may faint and grow weary and young men stumble. I mean, I I listen on my pager that I have with the fire department. I hear very often um, calls coming out uh, for elderly people who have fallen. Somebody's fallen and they give their age, you know, 80-year-old males fallen and hurt himself and what have you. And I hear that a lot. I don't hear a whole lot about, you know, calls coming for an ambulance for, for, for a 22-year-old man who's stumbled and fallen. You know, that just doesn't happen as often. And here it says, youths may faint and grow weary, young men stumble and fall. Because even young people can run out of gas, can be worn out. In fact, it doesn't matter how strong you are. If you go too long without enough rest, you'll slow down. You may even stumble and fall, and that's what the word says here. And we've watched here in our church, we've watched that lesson for many of you last year. We, we watched what happened as, 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 so, as many folks in our church, man, they were just running too hard for too fast for too long. And we began to realize as pastors here and staff that, hey, you know, we got to encourage folks, set some priorities. Sometimes you got to slow down. There is a time to walk, you know. You don't have to run all the time. Those are tough lessons to learn. Isaiah here, in, back in that verse in Isaiah chapter 40, says they'll soar on wings like eagles. Isaiah uses this idea, this, this illustration of the eagle. And it, what's interesting about the eagles is they have this, 
natural thing that happens over, periodically over the span of their lives called molting. You know what molting is? If you ever had birds, chickens, or whatever, you know they, birds molt. You'll see, you walk out in your yard, and you'll see bird feathers laying in the yard, and you wonder, uh-oh. And then it's a natural thing that birds molt, and eagles, like all birds, will lose feathers when the feathers become old, when they become worn out, maybe they're damaged. And once the worn-out feather falls out, you know what happens? A new one takes its place. A new one grows where the other one fell out. Wouldn't that be great, guys, if that happened with our hair? I'm looking around here, yeah. And that's what Isaiah says. That's, what, that's the idea of being renewed. The old one's fallen out because it's worn out. The old one's fallen out because it's damaged. But God replaces it with a new feather for the eagle. Unfortunately for the eagle, the feathers are not lost all at the same time. If that were to happen and the eagle lost all of its wing feathers, what would happen to the eagle? It would die. It would die. Why would it die? Because an eagle depends on its ability to fly to get food. They don't, eagles don't, can you imagine watching the wildlife show on TV and there's an eagle running along the ground chasing a rabbit? The eagle wouldn't win. (laughs) The eagle would starve to death. Why? Because they're made to fly. They're made to soar. They're made to have these wings that allow them to do that. That's how they capture prey. But please understand too, for the eagle, that molting is not a once in a lifetime experience. It's repeated over and over as the eagle matures, and they are always, always able to fly during molting. In fact, one of the interesting things about what God the Creator has done for them in their in their in their in their physicality and how they how they do this, God has made it so the eagle always has enough feathers to fly, even during molting. In fact, what's really interesting is that. If a feather is lost on the eagle's left wing due to molting, one on the right wing comes out as well. Why? So they're always balanced. Isn't that interesting how God's done that for them? If they lose one on the left, one on the the right falls out as well to keep them balanced. But can you imagine if an eagle, and he's flying along and he notices one of his wing feathers falling to the ground. Can you imagine that eagle molting for the first time, seeing his feathers drop off, that eagle beginning to panic? And because of the loss of a few feathers, that eagle suddenly believes flying from now on is impossible. Can you imagine that? God is using this illustration. God's saying, you know what? I don't let eagles lose so much that they crash to the ground. I renew them. That's what I want to do for you as well. Don't think that if you've molted, lost something in the last year, that you're going to crash and burn. Chances are you did some molting in 2011, and maybe it surprised you as you saw what were once strong, healthy components in your life become damaged or become weak and then dropped off. Maybe you convinced yourself that the molting was an indication that you indeed were headed to a crash. 
So instead of continuing to trust God, as the eagle does, God's going to renew my wings, my feathers. Instead of doing that and continuing to soar, you landed. And you begin to worry about missing feathers. God, he says, wants to renew you. God wants to renew you. You know, life is busy for most of us. I look around this room and I look at some of you and and I'm amazed at how busy you are in your lives and all the things that you accomplish. I even hear from from retired folks that they they tell me, I hear this all the time from retired people. I think maybe it's just a line they say, but I hear all the time from retired people, you know, now, now that I'm retired, I'm busier than I ever was when I was working. I don't know how I ever got anything done before. You ever hear retired people say that? And you want to say, oh, I feel so sorry for you. (laughs) Want to swap places with me for a few days? I don't understand what they're saying, but I hear it a lot. But most of us here this morning, we're not retired. And and a lot of you are in that time of life when you're balancing work and home and kids. And you're trying to find a bit more time to get life done. And many of us in this room will admit, we're going to talk about this in the next few weeks, you're burning the candle at both ends. And you feel like you're the the rope in the tug of war with everything in life pulling you one way or another. And it's exhausting. Later in the series, we're going to talk about priorities in business and career and, and rest we're going to talk about how to say no to the unnecessary and how to, how to establish godly margin in our lives, godly priorities in our lives, because if we don't know how to do those things in 2012, trust me, you're going to run out of gas. You're going to land. And when that happens, life can come to a halting crunch emotionally and spiritually and mentally and physically. All those areas, by the way, that Jesus said we're to love God with all our hearts. In fact, God cares so much about us and about this world he's called us to reach that if we don't, Christian, listen, church, if we don't prioritize and discipline our time, God will step in and do it for us. So next question in your notes that you ought to answer right now, jot something down, is this. I need renewal in this part of my life. Here's part of my life that I'm just, I need renewal and that I have become exhausted and it's caused me to land. I've molted this feather and I need renewal. I need God to replace this segment of my life, this passion in my life, this ability in my life. So our declarations so far, one more after these two. We've said, first one is what? Tell it to me, it's? Oh, yeah, you forgot already. Let's say that together. The first one is what? It's? All right, the second one is what? Renew me, Lord. Okay. The third one is this. One more thing, and that is this. We do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes. Jesus said something very interesting in John chapter 15. Follow along with me while I read this. He said, I am the true vine. And my father is the vineyard keeper. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. He prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more 
fruit. Now, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's painting this mental picture for them there of a vineyard. He's picturing a, in this vineyard a grapevine, and, and they were plentiful in Palestine, so he wasn't saying anything that they didn't know what he was talking about. Picture in your minds, guys, a vineyard and a grapevine. My father is the vineyard keeper. I'm the vine. You are the branches on that vine. So the branches on the vine Jesus is referring to are you and me who are part of his body in his church and those of us who have been united together in our common faith in Jesus Christ and his branches do from the vine, they draw their strength and they draw their nourishment from the vine. In the same way he's saying, you who are in me, you who are my children are to draw your strength and resources directly from me. What do you do? Those of you, those of you who have, uh, I'm sure most of us in our yards and maybe in your gardens have done this. What do you do when you prune a fruit-bearing branch. You know what you do? You get out the clippers, the cutters, the chainsaw, whatever it is, and you cut away the parts of the branch, listen, that will hinder the branch from producing even more. You know that if I cut away the stuff that's sapping the resources, that's sucking out the energy, if I cut those off, I remember somebody who was a, uh, knew much about landscaping and vegetation and horticulture, talk, showing me a rose bush. And he talked about on the rose bush, on the branches, on the, he talked about what he called suckers. Anybody know what I'm talking about? He said, you, and he said, you tell by the leaves and you cut those off because they're not going to produce a bloom. And if you cut those off, the part of the branch that does produce the bloom will produce even more and they'll be even prettier. Pruning, you cut some things off. You eliminate the unnecessary is what pruning is. And then the next season it bears even more fruit or more blossoms because you pruned in it, but pruned it. But note that Jesus said it is the Father who does the pruning in our lives cutting out the unnecessary because he knows even better than me. We might think, I know what needs to be cut out in my life. God may have something different in mind. He knows even better than me what needs to go in my life. Have you ever pruned a shrub or a tree? You know, when you do so, it, it looks painful. I mean, I got these whackers, you know, that I use. And they can cut a pretty healthy branch off of a shrub. A, a few years ago, I cut down a shrub so much that when it was done, I said, Gail, come look what I've done. And she came out and she said, you've killed it. Well, what I'd done is I had, the branches had turned brown from the winter cold or from the salt. So I went, took the branches and I cut them down to where the brown met the green. And right at the top of the green, I cut all the brown off. And if there were branches that were all the way brown down to the trunk, I cut them all the way off. Guess what happened to that shrub? It's bigger and more beautiful and more full of blossoms than it ever was before. Did I kill it? No. By doing the pruning, I made it healthier and more productive. Why? Because I cut out what was not productive. Then Jesus, still in John 15, he says this. 
Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. Does that make sense to you? If the branch is disconnected, if you have a broken branch hanging from a tree in your yard, is it producing leaves? The answer is no, it's dead because it's not drawing any more more, uh, nutrition from the trunk of the tree, from the main part of the tree. Just as that happens, he said, so neither can you, talking to us, unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one, you or me, the one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Remain in him. What does that mean? That's practicing your faith in him. That's not wandering away. That's not seeking your nutrition, your resource from something else. That's being conscious that he is my sustainer. He is my provider. He is the source of life for me. And what happens when I remain in him, he says, I grow and I produce fruit. And he says, and even though I may be pruned every now and then by the father, I'm going to produce, get this. He said, you will produce much fruit. He didn't say you'll produce a little bit. I don't know about you, but there are times when I look back at my week and my month and my year, and I say, God, that was a little bit of fruit that year, that month, that week, that day. I, I, I want to be one of those vines that where, where there's so many grapes hanging from it that God goes, God goes, wow. That's what it's supposed to look like in your life, Rick. Not a little bit, but much fruit. And we'll realize that, that without him, we are unproductive in the things that really matter. Now, let me share just from a pastor's heart to you. It is very painful to watch believers dry up and wither because they stopped abiding in Christ. It's painful for the pastors, the under-shepherds, to watch people stop abiding in Christ and instead they choose to live life without a daily, vibrant relationship with him. And part of that relationship includes relationship with one another in the body and they decide that some, for some reason, something else is, as they decide to, to put their, their, their branch into another vine, if you will. And they decided that their faithfulness to the church wasn't necessary and and it began to become irregular in their worship with with the body, in in their giving of tithes and offerings to the Lord, in the times of fellowship with one another. And please hear this. When you cut yourself off from the vine, and God's not gonna cut you off from the vine unless you're totally unproductive. But when you cut yourself off from the vine, Let me interject this. And you cannot separate the body of Christ from Christ. I hear sometimes people say, well, yeah, but I don't need to be in church to love God. I don't need to be in the church to serve the Lord. I don't need to be in the church to love Jesus. Well, tell that's like going to Jesus and say, I love you, but I don't like your wife very much. You know, you're really beautiful, Lord, but your wife is ugly. You know, I don't know about you, but them's fighting words where I come from. He takes offense to that. You cannot separate. How do you separate yourself from the body of Christ and not be separated from Christ? You can't do it. 
When you do that, you lose your source of nourishment. You lose your place of ministry. And spiritually, mark it down. Have somebody that's watched this happen for over a quarter of a century, you will spiritually wither up. Nothing is more painful, nothing is more frustrating to a pastor than to watch that happen. Well, I, and there's got another pastor guesting with us today. Would you agree with me with that, brother? 100%. Now, I didn't ask him to say that before. I know, look here, buddy, I got some, let me give you 10 bucks to, you know. You know but uh, he knows what I'm talking about. Just met him before the gathering. But I, if there are any other pastors here today, he would say, amen. Sam, did you experience that when you were pastoring? Yeah. So what do we do in 2012? Let's wrap it up. What do we do in 2012? How do we prepare for God's pruning in my life? God's going to get them out, guys. <laughs> He's going to get out the whackers in my life. He's going to get out the whackers in your life. It's going to happen. All right? Oh, God, no. You know, there you're there doing your life, and you hear what sounds like a heavenly chainsaw starting up. You know? God, no, not that. How do I prepare for God's pruning in my life? Here's how you do it. You already wrote this down. We give our lives to God to do whatever it takes. And here's where we must, be, we must be willing to accept, to live by totally trusting in Christ, to be renewed so that we can soar, to be fruitful in the things that matter to God will likely require God to do some pruning in my life this year. It means I don't fight him when he's doing just that. Oh, God, you can't have that. Oh, don't touch that, Lord. Pay too much money for that, God. Whatever it takes means this. Very simply, it means I'm giving God total control. So one more thing I want you to write in your notes. After that last paragraph there, am I willing for God to start pruning whatever it takes in me? Am I? First day of the year a great day to get started off on the right foot. Am I willing to say, God, if there's something in my life that needs to be gone, if there's something that is unnecessary, if there's something that's drawing the strength that I need, that I should be bearing fruit, but because there's these things in my life that are drawing the strength away, the spiritual strength, the time, the energy, the focus, the passion, the priority away from you, I give you my permission to remove that. Am I willing to take that step? Answer that question. And then bow your heads with me for just a moment. And I hope that while you bow your heads, I hope that we're also, while our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, I hope we're also opening our hearts to the prompting of God's spirit in our lives. You know, I, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I'm glad 2011 is behind. I don't want to experience another year like that one. There were some mountaintop experiences. There was some soaring, but I just in my own life found myself in the valley too often. And Maybe you don't either. You look at last year and say, I'm glad you're gone. 
So I don't, as we sang a few moments ago, I'm ready for a fresh start. I'm excited. I'm pumped to be here today. I'm glad for this to be January 1 with a brand new year. And I'm hoping for God to give me a renewed passion for him and for my priorities in my life to be his priorities for my life. How about you? So God gives us this new year, and it's time for us to make some new commitments. It's time for us to renew some old ones, some resolutions that bring revolution. And they start with that, it's not about me. Lord, let me live this year totally trusting in Christ. Would you say that to him? Can you honestly say that to him this morning? Lord, let me live this year totally trusting in you. It's not about me. And then the second thing maybe you would say to God right now is, God, renew me. Lost some feathers. Not flying so high. May I experience the newness of your mercies every day so that when it's time to soar, I soar. When it's time to run, I run. And when it's time to walk, I walk without giving up. And then maybe the toughest one, God, whatever it takes. Are you willing to make that commitment right now to him so that he prunes you and removes the unnecessary and those things that hinder your faithfulness? If you are, would you take just a moment to tell him so? In your own words, silently you speak to your God. Lord, this is first year, first day of the new year. Here's what I'm saying. Here are my declarations to you. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.